Okay, so we kickstart the series on creativity today. And the reason why that is of any interest at all is because every single one of us has that in common. Every single human being is creative. It doesn't matter what disabilities you have, we're all creative. It's like the one, it's one of the very few things we all have in common about us, that we can be creative in how we approach things and how we approach life. And I guess from a scriptural kind of standpoint, that is not surprising because the very first verse, the introduction of the notion of this Hebrew God is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now for us, when we read that text, we read it obviously in an English language. And so we read God and we read that he created like that was a pastime of his. But when they read the text, they read it in the language it was written in, which says Elohim. So it's God creator, created. So it says by very essence, by very nature, what is important to him is being creator, being creative, that it's an attribute of his. And then later in the same story, we see this pattern, we see this creation story unfold throughout the rest of Genesis 1 and all the way down to Genesis 3. And so we see this order and there's a rhythm to things. So there's this like seven day creation, well, six day creation story, the seventh day rested that um, people either dig or completely hate, but there's a rhythm to it. There was morning, there was evening, the first day. There was morning, there was evening, the second day. And so some have suggested that even that the first chapter after the first two verses is like this poem that's there. So ironically, God creator created and then straight away there's this creativity mixing among the flow. There's certain words are used 10 times, some are used seven, and there's this rhythmic balance throughout this description describing the creative process, giving us the creative process. And then it says that on the seventh day he rested which is no coincidence. Just this week, I was reading a study about creativity. And in that study, it said that we are losing some of our creative ability. Not because we misplaced it, not because of a lack of desire, not because of a, a sense of neglect towards creativity, but that actually boredom is key to creativity. And in our society and in our context, we try to obliterate boredom. And so, for example, I realized this battle on my commute to work every day. So this week, I have been struggling and I've been fighting with everything that's within me to stay away from my phone on my commute. Because what I find is, I'm on the commute, I'm dead bored, and I start reading, I start flicking through apps, I start going to Facebook, social media, gossip columns for football, all sorts of different places. And what happens is, there's, no, there's, there's two different types of boredom, and there's a type of boredom that is really good for us. So for example, if we're gonna think about it like on a child level, um, if you've ever watched a child that doesn't have any toys and you like give them a loo roll, first of all, they have a loo roll and they are bored. But give them 10, 20 seconds of boredom, maybe a couple minutes, all of a sudden the loo roll's a rocket ship and they're going to the moon. Now for us, what this study was saying is that as we engage more and more by being constantly connected and never having this downtime of boredom, which actually the study showed that when they gave the same challenge to people who've been constantly connected, constantly on the go on their phone, 
and they compared it with those who did the same test but had a period of, of boredom, those who were bored were far more creative in the challenge that was laid out ahead of them. And so when we look at this poem and we look at this rhythm, straight away in the first chapter, there's these six days of work and creativity. And the seventh day is there is a day of rest. Now for us as Christians, when we talk about a day of rest, we talk about a cease from work. And it is a cease from working. But for the Hebrew people, the Sabbath was more about a cease from creativity. So the priority isn't just avoiding work. It's avoiding the creative process. So towards the end of their week, it got even more hectic as they did everything they could to get food, to get everything they needed for the weekend, for the Saturday ready, because Saturday was their Sabbath. They got everything ready in time for that, that when it came to the Sabbath, they wouldn't have to be creative. They wouldn't have to be working. And so they see in their belief system, a God who worked these six days, the seventh day he rested and alleviated everything. So for them, there was this rhythm they instilled to their life. And this was something that came off the back of, as we talked about before when we did our series Sabbath, we looked at this, that it came off the back of a time of slavery where their whole lives was orientated around building bricks, 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 bricks. There was no break, just bricks, just bricks, everyday bricks, all the way through the day, bricks, go home at night, wake up next day, bricks, 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 bricks. That's all there was to their lives. All of a sudden, this God in this Exodus story sets these people free and one of the first things he does, he puts the rhythm there that he had at the very beginning. And he brings his kids into this rhythm of things. And so it's almost like a song. It's almost like a song that has its beat and has its bars and has its system. That there's this musical song going through the beginning of this, this Genesis poem. And actually there's a song and there's a rhythm to all of our lives, whether we like it or not. The sun goes up, the sun goes down, the moon does its orbit. The moon changes through those various different... It goes through its cycle, the lunar cycle. Thank you. It goes through the lunar cycle. And it goes stage by stage by stage. There's a rhythm to things. There's a rhythm to the earth orbiting the sun. There's a rhythm to the whole solar system. There's a rhythm to the solar system and its galaxy and its universe. There's a rhythm to everything around us and everything about us. There's the seasons that we live in. There's the moods that we go through. There's a rhythm to the whole of life. And then what we see in Genesis 3 is we see a shift take place. That part of the rhythm is broken that there is a shift, there's a change. And one of the key changes that we see from that story is we see there's this moment where they meet in the cool of the evening and from that point onward, there's no more meetings in the cool of the evening. That is the last meeting kind of with God in the cool of the evening in this garden. They lose their home. They're separated from their home. But not only that, there is a separation from the, the creator. So if you look at the Hebrew tradition and you look at the Hebrew start of Genesis, you have this God kind of revealed as this creator figure. If you're to look at the Gospel of John, he talks about it very differently and there's a shift towards him being called Father. And there's a real reason for that. Because of this kind of separation, this kind of schism that we see in the Genesis story, if everything's good, they're in perfect connection, there's this separation. The rest of the story and the narrative for all the different books is that there's one day a promise that there'll be a way back to that kind of relationship and that intimacy with their creator and then John wants to show there's a fulfillment of this intimacy 
and the other gospel writers, that they start to talk about him in a different sense, which Jesus kind of introduced. He calls him Father. So here we have the creative attribute of God listed. Jesus goes and throws out, and the gospel throws out, the New Testament throws out, and brings about a new angle. So it talks about Son of Man, which is a promise like man being God's Son, being his creation, bringing him back into that relationship. But with Jesus, with the gospel, we have the restoration of this connection with God. And so he's called Father. That's a huge paradigm shift when you think of the separation that's kind of taken place kind of between the two. Now, we get this Sabbath and this rhythm and all these kind of things happening after the um, exodus from Egypt. And today we're going to be looking at a passage in Exodus chapter 35. But even before that, actually, 31 verses 1 to 6. So these people are getting this new identity. They're getting this new connection. They've left a place of slavery. They have a slavery mentality. They have a poverty mentality, which often in life today, I, d- I deal with it all the time with my learners. They have a set roadman mentality. They have a mentality of the gang. They have the mentality of, of running things on the street, of peddling drugs, that this is their option. And they are limited to this confined mentality of slavery. Now, what happens with this people in this story, in this narrative is they were slaves. They find freedom. They have this new law, this instruction that God gives because he wants to tell them, this is what you were. This is what I'm calling you to. And then part of that comes in, a very, in the important um, development and building of some really important visual aids, creative, illustrative, artistic visual aids that come about that become a part of their history and their tradition, and it teaches them something beautiful. So in Exodus 31, verse 1 to 6, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Eliab, the son of Amshak, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, and they make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basins as it stands, and all its finery and work garments, the holy garments for, the, for Aaron the high priest, and the garments of his sons for their service of priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. The very next passage is all about Sabbath. So we skip ahead now to Genesis 35, verse 30 to 35. And Moses said to the people, see, so there it's talking about before, here it is in motion. See, the Lord is called by name, Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, 
and in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for the work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oliab, the son of Amishkak of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in the blue and the purple scarlet yarns and fine twin linen or by a weaver or any sort of work, man or skilled designer. Bezael and Eliab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence and know how to work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So, what we have in this passage is something beautiful. We are the people who were enslaved. We have a God who's saying, this is how it's going to be. This is where we're going to go. This is who you are. And this is who I am. And he's talking about living amongst them. And so what he says is, he says, you know what? I'm going to put my spirit on these guys. They're going to be so intelligent. They're going to be so artistic. They're going to be so creative. And they're going to have the skills and the talents to create these things within our midst, these symbols, these artistic signs and statements. And ultimately, what they end up building is they end up building the tent, the tabernacle, and they end up building the mercy seat and all these different types of illustration which just cry out who God is. And if we think about the narrative of the story of where they've come from, they know that in the beginning there was this creation story. They know that everything was good. Everything that was made was good. They know that things are now out of Hilton, that things are no longer good. They know there's this separation. And then the first thing this God wants to do is he wants to add rhythm to their lives for creativity. He wants to add a place that is safe in Sabbath that allows the creative juices to flow to their maximum potential. But not only that, he wants to pour in his spirit in them. And the reason he pours his spirit in them is because he is a creator. He is creative and he wants them to be creative. But what is it they're creating? What is it they're creating? They're creating what we would see as this artistic, religious ritual. And we would see those things as kind of a bit backwards and a bit behind us in our cultural setting. But when we look at them, what each one of those artistic pieces screams is something powerful and liberating. Because the tabernacle was the artistic representation of the plan of restoration. So they would have in their midst this tent. And a tabernacle means dwelling. It means residence. And so when they built this tent and when they built this and that all this lavish, beautiful gold that was taken from Egypt that was given to them as they were leaving is built into this fine, amazing, beautiful piece. They would come in, they would see this masterpiece. And what would be the ultimate message that they would know? They would know we were slaves and he restored us. They would know the history of the story of the six-day creation and then this Sabbath that they now had to enjoy. Only the rich and the powerful enjoyed Sabbath. They now enjoyed Sabbath. They were on equal footing with the most powerful, rich, influential people that he had brought them out of that place and placed them there. But ultimately, more than anything, they knew from their story and their history that had been passed down from generation to generation was that Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening and there was a separation from that garden that they were in 
Exodus long before they left Egypt, that they were separate from that garden and they were separate from God and they couldn't meet with him in that intimate way. And here in this moment, as the spirit of God comes upon this people through this artistic flavor, they start to express themselves in a way that the whole nation and all these people would come and they would see this artistic expression that would say to them, he lives among us. He's taken residence with us. We are no longer alone. We are no longer separated from this God. And it was the first giant step towards what you and I would come to a place which we take for granted where Jesus would teach us how to pray and he would say, Our Father who is in heaven, that we would know that he is in the midst of us, that we would know he is with us, restoring us and making us whole. But if you look at this story, the key and important point for today and for you and for I is this. He poured out his spirit on them to be artistic, to display the representation, the artistic representation of a plan of restoration. That's what it's all about. So the question and the challenge for you and I is, this week, God wants to pour out his spirit on us that we would embody and live out the artistic representation of his plan for restoration. There are people that we meet every week that need restoration in many different areas of their lives. And it's time for you and I to receive the Spirit of God that we can be creative in being a part of that restoration process. Because He has not called any of us to hide our light, but He's called us to shine bright. He's called us to be lives that give generously, that love lavishly. That is who our God is. He saw people enslaved and he set them free. But he didn't leave them in mindless freedom, but gave them the purpose of being his artistical representation of his plan of restoration. May we this week discover what it means to artistically paint with our lives, with who we are, what it means for people to encounter restoration through us and in us. Father God, I just pray for us today. Would you pour out your spirit upon our lives that we would be people that creatively and artistically embody the story of restoration and redemption and reconciliation. There are so many people around us every day that we will meet, that we will encounter at work, in our families, in our friendship groups that are in desperate need of restoration there are so many people that put on a brave face but inside are so broken and hurting father may we be the creativity and the artistic palette that you use to express this story to them that they may come to the mercy seat of god in jesus name amen